Hello strangers, welcome to another episode of Strange Talk Podcast. Now, if you listened to last week's episode of This Week in Crime, I had mentioned that I was going to be doing an episode with Rocky the Collector again. Unfortunately, due to scheduling conflicts, we weren't able to actually get that episode recorded, which isn't a big deal. It isn't a big deal, maybe to you guys, but it's really not that big of a deal. Hopefully, we can get it for you um, next week, have it ready to go, at least have it recorded, because next week is going to be another This Week in Crime. Um, Or if we do happen to get the episode out and I get it done and edited, then I'll probably have it for you um, when... uh, instead of putting out this week in crime episode but what i have for you i have a couple well the reason why we couldn't even get the episode wasn't it was mainly because of scheduling conflicts it's only because rocky the collector lives in new york and i live in california and so he's three hours ahead of me so he's in he's from the future i'm in the past it's kind of hard to (laughs) get a proper schedule because sometimes our kids Um, wake up or or something you know as you could hear in the episode (laughs) that I first did with him my daughter had woken up and so she was crying for me in the middle of me um, recording the episode so sometimes things just don't work out the way you wanted them to but you know c'est la vie that is laugh but I have a few cases for you for this episode because originally what I was planning on doing with that Rocky the Collector, we were going to talk about um, duo serial killers, that is um, tag team serial killers, if you will, that teamed up or they were always just together and committed their heinous deeds for their sick, sadistic pleasure. But fortunately, we couldn't get that juicy, spicy meatball of an episode recorded. So hopefully by next week we have it recorded, I'll be able to edit it and then I might release it instead of releasing This Week in Crime. Who knows? Um, Only time will tell. But hopefully you guys enjoy what I do have for you. I have a couple of cases that I have that I've been wanting to do. I just I didn't know if I want to, you know, put them with their own particular episode or if I wanted to do something else. But um, I decided to just use these cases because they're interesting. Some of them are short. Um, and just straight to the point well some of them may not be I don't really know we'll see let's get into the cases but um you know hopefully you guys enjoy if you haven't heard of these hopefully you guys enjoy what I bring to you to your beautiful beautiful ear holes so starting with this first case um, this first case I'm going to be speaking of is a short one it's just kind of like it's not a serial killer, in, in, you know, it's maybe a serial killer in the making, possibly, but fortunately, he was caught, so, spoiler, he was caught. Um, but this, I frequent, if you've heard my previous episodes, I frequent a website called 4chan, and 4chan is an image-sharing message board, if you will, sort of like the likes of Reddit, although this is Reddit's ugly cousin that they don't really speak about too much because he's crazy and he's done a lot of unspeakable sick things (laughs) and so um 4chan on a particular message board called or known as the b board if you're not familiar with what 4chan is um there's a image sharing board called the b board and it's basically random you can talk about whatever you want and this is where most of the sick twisted fucked up people I include myself in there because I would frequent it a lot when I was younger when I thought I was like an edgy teen (laughs) type of dude um but 
you go on there you make a, a thread about whatever you want the topic can be whatever uh, literally about whatever you want majority of the time it's either porn or it's um pictures of girls like that you know you find on facebook that you think is hot type of shit um or they had uh, wrecked threads where wrecked r-e-k-t is basically threads that share videos of cctv footage or just of people dying in the real world um just because that's what they like to look at but i remember on one particular evening there was an incident that occurred where a man had posted just simply as something simple as this it showed a picture of a woman who appeared to be dead and it said it is so damn hard to strangle someone and it's not not like how it is on the movies something along the lines of this but i have all the information about it but i'm just talking about my first-hand experience of when i actually was there to see it and view it happening okay so let's get into the actual case itself the rise of the internet has been a wondrous thing opening doorways and connecting people from around the world with the onset of social media this has only been accelerated but there is a dark side to the internet. It's always been there, hidden under the belly of the deep web, where anything can be bought, sold, or traded. In recent years, however, the darkness has begun to seep out onto the surface. With the internet providing a mask of anonymity, the spewing of hate and evil has become all the more easier. The image board website known as 4chan has gained notoriety in the past for numerous scandals, from leaked celebrity sex tapes to internet attacks and members being arrested for cyberbullying and pedophilia. Its anonymous nature allows members to act out their most depraved fantasies with few consequences. So on November 4th in 2014, in the form of David Michael Kalik, also known as the 4chan Strangler, a new type of murderer was born online. So, as I said, Michael David Kalik he posted this topic with the image of a dead woman as the main picture. And this is what he actually wrote in the topic title. Turns out it's way harder to strangle someone to death than it looks on the movies. The words of the first chilling post appeared just before 3 p.m. Accompanied by the photo of, a, of his naked girlfriend. Images of a nude woman are not an unusual sight on 4chan's B, or also known as random board. This was slightly different though. The ligature mark around the woman's neck, the pallid tone to her skin, and the way in which her body was posed all pointed to the fact that the young woman in question was in fact dead. Her name was Amber Coplin, previously Amber Lynn Shaw, and she had recently been murdered by her boyfriend at the time, David Kalik. He later claimed that together they had drunk more than half a gallon of vodka in their Port Orchard, Washington apartment. Then she pissed him off. He reacted by strangling her, first with his hands, then with a shoelace. A blunt force trauma to the head finally killed her. After he killed her, he sexually violated her corpse, bit her and marked the bite marks with a sharpie before posting her body and taking photos. He uploaded these to the b-board on 4chan several hours after he killed her, at around 3pm. 
A second post was accompanied by the words, she fought so damn hard. Members of the site didn't take the post seriously at first, and many assumed this was simply another tired meme. The third post, complete with yet another image of the corpse, read, check the news in Port Orchard, Washington, in a few hours. Her son will be home from school soon. He'll call her, then call the cops. I just wanted to share the pics before they found me. I bought a BB gun that looks realistic enough. When they come, I'll pull it, and it will be suicide by cop. I understand the doubts. Just check the fucking news. I have to lose my phone now. Slowly, people began to take the anonymous poster more seriously. The three posts were uploaded in the space of 10 minutes. Shortly after posting the images, Kalik stole his victim's 2001 Ford Focus and fled the scene. Just a half hour later, as Kalik predicted, Amber's 13-year-old son returned home and discovered the body. He called his father and Amber's ex-husband, Paul Copland, who called 911. The word was out, and the online community soon spread, spread the images. The post quickly emerged on more and more websites, with a huge number of people taking an interest in this real-time murder. Everyday people become online sleuths on a quest to ID both the victim and the killer. Despite the post being removed, the victim was soon ID'd by 4chan members who cross-referenced her Facebook account. Her tattoos were a giveaway, but the ID of the killer was still unknown. On forums and image, image boards across the net, speculation grew. Some members appeared to have picked names at random and innocent people were being accused. Others believed the ex-husband was to blame. Eventually, by following the Facebook and Twitter feeds of Copland's family members, the online community soon worked out that the killer was indeed David Kalik, long before the cops released any official information. Kalik, meanwhile, was on the run. Before they knew who the killer was, the cops were on the lookout for Copland's stolen car, and they found it. Kalik was pulled over, but sped off before being apprehended. A high-speed chase followed, but the cops lost Kalik when he swerved into oncoming traffic. He crossed the state line into Oregon. It's believed he returned to 4chan and continued to post, asking members for help. It is yet unknown whether this really was Kalik or another anonymous member pretending to be him. Either way, the response was disturbing. While some members allegedly did attempt to aid police, others tried to help Kalik out, suggesting he head for Canada and disappear. Others deliberately tried to confuse the situation by pretending to be Kellick to throw cops off the scent. It wasn't until the following day that Kellick was eventually apprehended after crossing the state line. He settled in Portland, Oregon. Here he spent four hours in the No Bar, where he drank three cans of past blue ribbon and a vodka Red Bull. According to the bar owner, Kellick did not seem like a man on the run. He was chatting with customers and socializing as if this were any other day. Before he left, he split a beer, apologized, and left a large tip. Shortly after this, he made his way to Wilsonville, Oregon, where he approached a passing cop car. He handed himself in informing the cop. He handed himself in. Why did I read that weird? He handed himself in informing the cop that he was wanted out of Washington on account of murder. Among his possessions was a note admitting to the murder. 
The note read, I killed Amber Copland. It's not like I said Ambler. <laughs> I killed Amber Copland. I strangled her with my hands, then a shoelace. I had no reason other than I was drunk and she pissed me off. Running from the cops was so fun. David Kalick. That's literally what the letter wrote. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what he wrote on the letter. In the apartment, Kalick had scrawled messages such as, She killed me first on the walls. He also wrote the word dead on Copland's driver's license. Cops confirmed that the handwriting and ink on the note was a match, sealing Kalick's guilt. His bail was set at $2 million, and he was initially charged with second-degree murder. This was later elevated to first-degree murder, a charge he was convicted of in 2017. Due to the nature of the crime and the emotional damage dealt to the victim's family and online community, his sentence was extended past the normal maximum of 40 years. Besides first-degree murder, the jury found Kalik guilty of two aggravators. Firstly, that there was a foreseeable impact beyond the victim, and secondly, that Kalik displayed a sickening lack of remorse. He was finally sentenced to 82 years. It's believed he will appeal. So who is David Kellick? Unsurprisingly, the 4chan Strangler had a long history of violence. His rap sheet listed a string of charges, including domestic abuse, alcoholism, alcoholism, why do I feel like I'm saying that weird? Alcoholism. <laughs> and attempted stabbing. In fact, he was already on a restraining order from an ex-girlfriend after attempting to murder her just months before his brutal attack on Copland. He spent several years dependent on alcohol, leading to blackouts, bouts of violence, and paranoia. In court, the defense argued that due to his alcoholism, Kalik wasn't even aware he was killing Copland at the time. He claimed that the last thing he remembered before his arrest was having his hands on her neck. It is believed that he regularly drank half a gallon of vodka and up to 18 cans of beer a day. Fuck, that's a lot. The reasons why he turned to drink are currently unknown, but this habit has certainly been a catalyst for violence. But it turns out Kalik is more than capable of violence without the aid of alcohol. Even when incarcerated and sober, Kalik proved himself to be a threat. On December 9, 2014, just a month after his arrest, Kalik brutally attacked fellow inmate Wayne Carlson. It's alleged that the two had previously known each other and had lived together. They had never gotten along, and when they met in jail, the reception was even frostier. Kalik used a piece of cardboard to jam the locking mechanism in his cell. He then entered Carlson's cell and locked the door behind him. After dragging Carlson from his bunk, he slammed his head into a metal sink and stomped on him. After muttering, I'm going to kill you, he put Carlson in a headlock and raised him off the ground. Fortunately, Carlson had managed to hit the emergency alarm button just before he lost consciousness and help arrived. The case was dropped after Carlson could not be located, but he later gave evidence against Kalik at the trial for Copland's murder. So that's the first case that I have for you. Now, the reason why I chose to do this is because I wanted to do an episode about it previously. I just didn't know how I wanted to go about doing it because it's such a short one. And this is all the information that I could find on it. I have no other information that I have found on it. Like, I, there's really nothing else. And it gives the motive for why he did it. He was an alcoholic and he was an abusive alcoholic. He would just 
have bouts of rage when he would drink. And I guess she really probably did piss him off. I'm not saying that's okay. Okay, I'm not... <laughs> don't, don't twist my words around. I'm not saying that's okay. That's not a reason for him to do what he did. But w- what I'm trying to say is that she probably did do something to piss him off. But because he's in a state of mind where he can't think rationally. Because if I was... Say, for instance, somebody pissed me off. I wouldn't think like, oh, I'm going to fucking strangle you. And post your pictures on 4chan and stuff like that. No, what I'm saying is that she probably did do something to irritate him. And because of his... Given his state of mind and the fact that he's drinking so much. It's probably why he just went off not saying it's okay don't don't misconstrue my words i'm just saying just trying to think in a mindset of like i'm not saying that she deserved what happened to her because she did not in no way at all but she probably just did something that annoyed him and he took it even further by just i'm probably just digging myself into a hole even more now but i hopefully you guys understand what i'm trying to say i'm not trying to say that she deserved it that's not what i'm saying but I don't, but going back to what I said about me actually being like seeing it live happening because like I said previously I I would frequent 4chan a lot in the b-board and um I remember when I saw the picture I was like what is this and I clicked on it because obviously the title is going to be something that brings you into the thread and I remember seeing that and of course a lot of people are on there saying like this is fake like you know, whatever, they usually have their terminology that they have for 4chan and stuff, and so a lot of the words that they use, the terms and everything, were being spewed out on the message boards, but it wasn't until he finally posted the driver's license, because he actually posted the driver's license. Now, (laughs) I'm kind of conflicted, because obviously you guys would want to see this type of information, maybe you do, maybe you don't, some, I know some of my listeners probably are a little bit more morbid in their curiosity when it comes to these types of things. I do have the pictures because as I was doing the research for this particular case, I did find the actual, like somebody had archived the actual board when it happened, the day it happened and everything. Because usually there's a lot of people who do that. You can find a lot of like particular well-known things that happened, whether they're notorious or not on 4chan. Usually somebody will archive them and, you know, take pictures of the images or take pictures of the actual board itself when it's being shared and all the information's out there. So I did happen to find the original images that he posted and everything. Um, I obviously, if you've been following me at Strange Talk Podcast on Instagram, I recently got like reported on because I posted a video that I talked about in this week in crime last week's episode where I talked about when I witnessed an actual death live on TV when I was like eight years old, I believe I was back in 1998 somebody happened to report that video and they got it taken down and instagram like reached out to me and said like hey do you need help we you know if you're alone if you feel like you're alone you can talk to us if you're having suicidal thoughts so i don't know maybe somebody reported me saying i'm suicidal or something i don't know but um yes they did take down the video that i had posted to my series which is strange talk tv I had posted the video of Daniel V. Jones where he took his, the day he took his life on May 1st, 1998. Um, so I don't want to post the picture on my Instagram account. What I will do, however, is if you're listening to this episode and you're truly, honestly curious about what he posted and what it looked like, just DM me at Strange Talk Podcast and tell me like, hey, I would like to see the images of what David Kellig uh, posted. And I will be more than happy to share that image with you 
what you do with it on your own i am not liable for so don't you know that's on you um but yes um it's not super graphic what you are looking at is a person who is dead of course but um it's nothing it's not there's no gore or anything it's not a graphic image per se it is graphic in the cell in itself that it is a person that's dead um so yeah that was the first case hope you guys found that interesting let's move on to the next case So this next case that I have for you is a bit of a short one because there's not really a whole lot of information and what information is there is just basically of the crime that was committed and the perpetrator. Um, there's a little bit of a backstory of his early life, but it's mainly about his father, um, not so much about him himself. There's only a snippet of his early life, which is just the fact that he graduated from high school. But the case in question that I'm speaking about was even made into a film back in 2011 and if i'm not mistaken that film is still available to watch on netflix uh the name of the film is called bernie and the person that i'm speaking of that's in the actual case is bernard bernie tied the second and is an american mortician and convicted murderer so like i said just there's really not a lot of information about it but i wanted to include it just because a lot of people that knew bernie personally do not think that he was capable of even such a crime because he was just such a super nice person from a lot of what of the news articles that I did read about him that most of the people in Carthage, Texas, which is where he was from and which where the crime took place, um, don't really believe that he was capable of even such a thing. And that's why I find it so interesting is just because is he putting on a facade, a charade of um, just him being such a sweet kind person and just fooled these people or is it simply because he is truly a nice person there's no way he could have committed this crime but bernard tide the second is the son of bernard tide a native of olgenau russia i believe is how you pronounce it and is of german descent who had immigrated with his family to to the united states in 1922 bernard tide senior had served as a professor of music and choral director at our lady of the lake college which is now known as our lady of the lake university in san antonio texas he also what held this position at various other schools and then at mcmurray college now known as mcmurray university in albilene texas where he served as a director of the McMurray Chanters, the position he held until his death. In addition to his work as a university professor, Bernard Tide Sr. also served as church music director and as a vocal performer. Bernie Tide's mother was Bernard Tide Sr.'s first wife, and her name was Layla May Jester. I don't know, you could probably hear my air conditioning. There's something wrong with it or something, I don't know, but it sounds like that sometimes when it turns on and it turns off. When it turns on, it makes a loud noise, but when it turns off, it does that noise. But oh well. Um, They were married. Um, Layla May Jester, um, that was his first wife, Bernie's actual mother, and they were married in 1957, and Bernie was born in the next year. Bernie's mother died, unfortunately, in an automobile accident when he was only two years old. And in 1963, his father married Clara Catherine Wiley, who became Bernie's stepmother. His father died in Albilene, Texas, when Bernie was only 15. Bernie Tide graduated from Cooper High School in Albilene, Texas in 1976. 
So, the least to say is that Bernie did not have a good start in life. Um, and it's unfortunate, but it's up to you if you want to feel bad for him or not. So here we get to the kind of the big meat. Um, a proponent character in this case, and her name is Marjorie Nugent. Tide met Nugent in March of 1990 at her husband's funeral. <laughs> Fucking car. <laughs> Tide met Nugent in March of 1990 at her husband's funeral, with which Tide helped while assistant director at Hawthorne Funeral Home. The two eventually became inseparable, and in 1991, Nugent altered her will and disinherited her son, leaving her entire 10 million estate to Tide. By 1993, Bernie left his job to work for her full-time as her business manager and travel companion. In November of 1996, Tide killed Nugent by shooting her in the back four times with a 22 caliber rifle. He then placed Nugent's body in a freezer used to store food at her Carthage home. Nugent's estranged son, his name is Armarillo Pat. I guess he's an Armarillo pathologist. His name is Rod Nugent. Traveled from Amarillo to Panola County nine months after her death, where he declared Nugent a missing person. After entering Marjorie's residence, Rod and his daughter found his mother's body in the freezer wrapped in a white sheet. Tide was taken in for questioning, and he admitted to Nugent's murder to police in August of 1997. Tide stated that after the murder, he cleaned the body and placed Nugent in a freezer. After this, Tide admits he had given gifts to several friends in Carthage using Nugent's money, which he had previously given him power of attorney to use. A jury sentenced Tide to 50 years in prison for Nugent's murder. Tide appealed his sentence and the appellate courts ruled that there was sufficient evidence for the jury to have found premeditation. Tide filed a post-conviction writ of hebus corpus in which Tide alleged that his constitutional rights were violated in the first trial because of newly discovered evidence. He alleged in the writ that the 81-year-old Nugent was controlling and emotionally and verbally abusive toward him, driving him to murder her in a disassociative state brought on by years of sexual abuse from his uncle. The Texas Criminal Court's appeal approved the writ. According to the deceased's estranged son, Rod Nugent, Tide alienated Nugent from her family, friends, and the business associates of her late husband. And Nugent said, It appears this Bernie Tide kind of systematically estranged my mother from all these people one at a time. At some point, they became very angry with my mother. When interviewed, Panola County, Texas District Attorney Danny Buck Davidson said that the town of Carthage was split up in regards to their opinion of Tide. Davidson said, People remember him, speaking of Tide, as being real nice and doing nice things, and they'd like my office to go really easy on him. And then there's a group that wants no mercy. Tide was convicted of the murder and sentenced to life in prison. Rod Nugent filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Tide, claiming Tide had embezzled more than $3 million from Marjorie Nugent. Shortly after entering the Texas Department of Criminal Justice in 1998, Tide was attacked by fellow inmates. During his imprisonment, Bernie was described by a prison official as a model prisoner. Teaching health classes and participating in the prison's choir, he had been until May 2014 serving a life sentence. This was an actual letter written by Richard 
Piscoff um, about Tide while he was in prison. Mr. Tide's ability to repress and compartmentalize the abusive events from childhood and adolescence was ultimately overwhelmed by the repeated and extensive psychological abuse he suffered from Miss Nugent. The end result, his loss of control over his emotions and behavior is evidenced in his final actions towards Mr. Nugent. It's also been suggested that Tide's handwritten confession, a major factor in the murder being considered first degree, was heavily influenced by threats of leaking private videotapes of Tide. When presented with the new evidence, Davidson agreed that he had that he had known this information in the original trial he would have sought a lighter sentence. Nugent's family heard about the release through media reports. Her granddaughter expressed a shock that the release was granted and claimed that Richard Linklater's 2011 film, Bernie, had influenced the legal system. The Nugent family created a website to honor Nugent's memory, posting photos of her and articles relating to her murder. Between the time of his release in 2014 and his re in April of 2016, Tide resided in Austin, Texas and filmmaker Richard Linklater's garage apartment, which was a condition of his release. The resentencing trial began on April 6, 2016, and during the resentencing trial, Marjorie's granddaughter, Shauna Nugent, spoke directly to Bernie, saying, You are nothing to me. Shauna and Rod Nugent both asserted that Marjorie was in fact a kind of woman on good terms with her family, unlike the film's portrayal, whom Tide conned, conned to spend her fortune without her knowledge. This differs greatly from other witnesses' testimonies as Gregg's County Commissioner Daryl Primo testified that in a conversation he had with Marjorie between 1991 and 1996 that she spoke well of Bernie's spending, stating, I'll spend every dime of my money before I leave it to my family. Additionally, Meryl Rhodes, the victim's sister, spoke of her feelings towards Marjorie, saying, I was always afraid of her. I never forgot that she was my sister. I always loved her as a sister. Actually, even when she did ugly things, and she did... Merrill's son, Joe Rhodes, attested to the movie's accurate portrayal and mentioned several acts of his aunt's abuse toward him in the New York Times article, How My Aunt Marge Ended Up in the Deep Freeze. And I actually read that article, and it goes on. It is actually written by um, Joe Rhodes, which is, I believe, the um, nephew of Marjorie. And it is, um, it is titled How My Aunt Marge ended up in the deep freeze and I was thinking of including it but most of the information that he gives is over as of a first perspective at you know first per- a first person perspective of him remembering his aunt and leading up to the murder um as of 2016 uh well I'm sorry despite this on April 22nd 2016 a jury of 10 women and two men deliberated and issued a new sentence of 99 years of life for Bernard Bernie Tide. After three weeks of testimony, the jurors deliberated for just over four hours. As of 2016, Tide resides in the Telford unit of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. A week after his resentencing, his lawyers filed an appeal to the court's decision, and in June of 2016, the 1997 theft charge against Tide was dropped. In August of 2017, a Texas appeals court upheld the 99-year prison sentence. Tide was the subject of the 48 Hours episode, The Mortician, The Murder, The Movie, outlining his crime as well as his his brief re-entry to society and resentencing. So that's the case of Bernard Bernie Tide.
the second. Um, the reason why I found it interesting was just the fact that there was a movie made about it. And there's people that still to this day from Carthage, Texas, because um, some information that the, the, this Wikipedia article doesn't include is the fact that is the fact that you, know, you can probably hear my daughter crying is the fact that the money that he inherited, um, you know, through false pretenses um for marjorie he actually spent that money by giving to the town um and especially predominantly important people so some people believe that he was simply just a con man and he gave that money he bought jet skis for some people he donated um money to help build parks i believe and even helped build um a portion of the school in carthage texas i'm not sure if it was an elementary school or high school but it just said little snippets of information in one of the articles that i found about him so that's why a lot of people liked him because he helped build up carthage texas a little bit um, and that's why they didn't think he, he was just so nice that there's no way he could have done this. She probably gave him the money and she or she probably did do something to force him to kill her. But who knows? The only people that know that is one of them's dead. And that's her name is Marjorie Nugent. The other one's still alive in prison. And that's Bernard Bernie Tide the second. So we're going to move on to another case. So this last case that I have for everyone, if you don't know, uh, the reason why the audio probably changes or it sounds weird or different sometimes is because I'm recording this from my actual phone. I'll be honest, I didn't really have time to record each episode um, throughout the day because usually when I actually edit the episodes and I record everything, I record it like in one sitting and then I just edit it after I'm done recording. Um, I don't really like to chop it up. I like to just get... I like to just at least get the audio done for the day and then just record it. But um, I would have had the audio and everything recorded because I usually record on Sundays. And then if I get busy on Monday or I don't have time to do it on Monday, because I have Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday off. So those are like my prime days to record and edit and get everything done. Usually what I do is I'll record on Sundays and then leave Monday open and if I'm busy say with my daughter or if I'm busy just doing errands or something then usually or if I'll be honest I get lazy and I'm tired from work and these are my days to catch up with sleep or to just relax and like play video games and stuff like that then I'll usually just finish the edit process on Tuesday and have the episode ready to be scheduled to be released on Wednesday morning <laughs> but um, because I was still trying to record the episode with that Rocky the Collector I wasn't actually able to um, sit down and do any of the recording that I had for this episode so I've had these um, particular cases lined up for episodes I just didn't know when I wanted to do them so now that I'm kind of like on the fence about even doing an episode I decided hey I'll just do these cases and get them out there so some of them you probably heard of and I'm sure maybe most of you have heard of this case that I'm going to be speaking of and this one's known as the big bad wolf so in April of 2006, in Medicine Hat, Canada, everyone in Jasmine Richardson's family was killed except her. But her life wasn't miraculously spared, nor was she heartbroken. That's because the deaths of the Richardson family were the result of a murder at the hands of the 12-year-old Jasmine and her 23-year-old boyfriend, Jeremy Steinke. 
<laughs> I don't know if that's how you pronounce his last name, but it's Steink. I'm going to say Steink because <laughs> I don't know if that's how you actually pronounce his name, Steinky, because it's spelled Stein, like S-T-E-I-N, but then there's K-E at the end. So I don't know if it's Steinky or Stein because it almost sounds like you're saying Stinky with like a fucking weird ass accent. Stinky. <laughs> The horrifying killing shocked not only the 60,000-person community, but the entire nation. Charged with three counts of first-degree murder, Jasmine Richardson was the youngest person convicted on multiple counts of murder in Canada's history. In 2016, she was actually set free. Why did a young girl carry out these unthinkable crimes, and why was she able to walk free? Jasmine Richardson and Jeremy Stank met at a punk rock show. Before Richardson met Steink, she was described as a happy and social girl. However, that changed once Richardson began seeing the 23-year-old Steink, who was 11 years older. Richardson was instantly taken with the goth lifestyle as she became a member on the website vampirefreaks.com and would wear dark makeup to make her look so much older than she was. Steink's own upbringing wasn't as wholesome as Richardson's. His mother was an alcoholic and her partner abused Steink. Kids at school bullied him, and by the time he met Richardson, he had already attempted suicide numerous times. From the age of 13, Steink had developed an elaborate persona. Wearing a vial of blood around his neck, he claimed to be a 300-year-old werewolf. When Jasmine Richardson's parents, Mark and Deborah, found out about the relationship, they prohibited their daughter from seeing Steink at all. But Richardson and Steink were in love. Livid at Richardson's parents, Steink wrote on his blogging platform on April 3rd of 2006 and said, Payment! My lover's rents are totally unfair. They say that they really care. They don't know what is going on. They just assume their throats I want to slit. Finally, there shall be silence. Their blood shall be payment. (laughs) But according to police reports, it was Richardson who first proposed the plan. And it was in an email she told Steink she had a plan. It begins with me killing them and ends with me living with you, she wrote in the email. Steink was receptive to the idea, replying, Well, I love your plan, but we need to get a little more creative with like details and stuff. I'm pretty sure you probably didn't even talk like that. You probably thought, well, I love your plan, but we need to get a little more creative with, like, details and stuff. Richardson reportedly told friends about the plans to kill her parents, but they either didn't believe her or thought she was just joking. The night before the murders, the duo watched Oliver Stone's 1994 film, Natural Born Killers. Then on April 23, 2006, at her parents' home on a quiet residential street in Medicine Hat, Canada, Jasmine Richardson and her boyfriend followed through with their massacre. The next day, a neighbor told reporters that a young boy went over to his friend's house, Richardson's little brother, and thought he saw a body through the window. He ran home and told his mother, who then called the police. Inspector Brent Sekindayek arrived on the scene, I'm pretty sure I fucked up his last name, and looked into a basement window where he saw at least one person on the ground. He called other officers for backup, thinking they may be able to save someone in the house. But nobody inside was alive. Mark Richardson, Deborah Richardson, and their 8-year-old son had all been brutally murdered, and one family member, 
the 12-year-old daughter of the dead couple, was missing from the scene. It wasn't even in the realm of possibility that she was she was accused wasn't accused, said Sendek Sendiek. Uh, piecing the events together, the police found that Deborah was killed first after being stabbed at least a dozen times. Mark fought back with a screwdriver, but was stabbed to death as well. Both parents' bodies were found in the basement. Upstairs in his blood-soaked bed, the youngest, Richardson, had his throat slashed open. Fearing Jasmine Richardson was a victim too, the police released a statement that said they were searching for the Richardson's daughter regarding a serious family matter and sent out an Amber Alert. But after recovering evidence in her room and locker, investigators realized she was the prime suspect. The trial of digital evidence led to Jasmine Richardson and Jeremy Steink mainly consisting of the email exchanges between the two. They were tracked down and arrested in Steink's truck. It was indicated that Steink killed Richardson's parents downstairs while she was upstairs in her brother's room. Witnesses testified that the two had admitted to the murders. One witness recounted Steink saying that the victims had been gutted like fish. At her 2007 trial, Richardson, who was only identified as JR at the time because of her age, pleaded not guilty. See, she said she had hypothetical. <laughs> she said she had hypothetic hypothetically conversations about killing her family. Why can I not say that word hypothetically? I was about to say hippo, <laughs> but didn't intend on ever going through with it. But she was found guilty by a jury for three counts of first-degree murder and given the maximum sentence for a youth. Six years in jail, followed by four years of supervision in the community. She was just 13 by the time she was convicted. In 2008, Steink was convicted of three counts of first-degree murder as well. As he was 25 at the time of the conviction, he was sentenced to life in prison without parole for 25 years. The couple exchanged letters from jail promising to marry. None of the letters ever expressed guilt or remorse towards what they did. Richardson underwent extensive rehabilitation and treatment after she was sentenced. Psychiatric assessments revealed she was diagnosed with conduct disorder and oppositional defiant disorder. In 2016, at just a year younger than her partner in crime, was when they committed the homicides. Richardson was freed from the criminal justice system. Using reports from Richardson's probation officer, Court of Queen's Bench Justice Scott Brooker said, You've indicated, though, through your conduct, you have a desire to atone for what you did, adding, Clearly, you cannot undo the past. You can only live each day with the knowledge that you can control how you behave. The weird part about it is, in another article that I read, um, I believe Steink, whatever fuck his name is, I believe Steink said... Um, in an interview was that it wasn't actually him. He just killed the two parents and they were going to let her little brother live. But it was actually the girl who decided, no, he needs to die too. And that he couldn't be the one to actually kill a little kid. For some reason, he had no problem killing the parents because they were adults and they got to live their life. I guess a little kid is where he draws the line. And she was the one that actually killed him by slitting his throat. So that's pretty fucked up, and that's sad, but people do crazy things for love when they think they're in love, I guess. But again, she probably had some, 
they obviously found psychological issues with her. So I'm pretty sure that she's always had these things. So again, that kind of brings me to a point of like when people say, oh, well, where are the parents when all this was going on? Sometimes, yes, the parents, if they got involved in stuff like that, they probably could have done something earlier or they could have, you know, just gotten something done, whatever, I guess. But sometimes you just can't help it. The person was probably like that and they were probably always going to be like that. You know, you never know. But that's why, you know, parents should be more involved with their children, you know. But I think it also comes to a point, too, of, like, if you are a parent that has a child that could actually have psychological issues, it is up to you to actually do something. Because I'm pretty sure there's parents out there that are like, oh, no, my kid's fine. Because you just don't want to face that type of, like, problem. You don't want to, like, admit to it, you know. I imagine being a parent knowing that my daughter you know might have an issue or something if she was if she was to ever exhibit any like signs of psychological like issues or mental health issues i probably would be scared and i wouldn't want to admit to it like oh you know there probably is something wrong with her it's a very scary thing to deal with so you can't necessarily blame the parents although it is their fault but you know it sucks try to put yourself in their shoes now unfortunately This is all the time that I have for you. I'm sorry the episode couldn't be longer, but hopefully you enjoyed what I have for you. Uh, Stay tuned for next week's episode. That may or may not be the episode that I do do with uh, Rocky the Collector of the Serial Killer Duos. It might be. It might not. Most likely it's probably going to be another This Week in Crime. And my daughter is woken up and now she is running around. And I can hear her. (laughs) I'm in my bathroom recording this episode because it's the only place where I could find peace and quiet. Um, I may or may not be taking a shit on the toilet. I'm just kidding. I am. But anyways, <laughs> um, so follow me on Instagram at Strange Talk Podcast. Send me a DM. You know, send me news articles to be featured in This Week in Crime. Or you can send them to my email at strangetalkpodcast at outlook.com. Again, what's that email? That's strangetalkpodcast at outlook.com. Again, sorry for this episode to be so short. Hopefully you guys enjoyed all the little information of the cases that I brought to you. Hopefully you guys did or did not. I don't know. Time will tell. But, um, yeah, I just couldn't, you know, get that episode with Rocky the Collector. That's the episode you guys are probably wanting to listen to. Um, But, yeah. So, as always, stay strange.